Hello and welcome to the first episode of Stardust MQ for 2021. I'm Cameron Furlong. My guest for this episode is Tommy Marshman. He's a PhD student and radio astronomer using SETI data to search for pulsars. He joined me to talk about his research and how he got into astronomy in the first place. Okay, so your project is basically using uh, SETI data to find new pulsars. Um, so let's just sort of unpack that. So just explain what pulsars are. Uh, okay, so pulsars are fast spinning neutron stars and they're the results of, um, well, they're the remnants of massive stars after they supernova. And if their poles are spinning like a, uh, similar to a lighthouse and it goes past the Earth, our line of sight, we can detect them. Uh, and what's interesting about them is that they're the, uh, the second most dense object in the universe that we uh, can study uh, second to black holes. And uh, why do we want to look for pulsars? What, what makes them so interesting? What makes them so um, are useful to us? So pulsars by themselves are interesting in that we can study the effects of their magnetics, uh, magnetospheres on uh, the radio signals. But what's really interesting and they can be utilized for is millisecond pulsars that uh, rotate um, multiple times in a second uh, can be used in pulsar timing arrays which are being used now to try and detect uh, a stochastic uh, gravitational wave background similar to the microwave background but uh, just the um, in space time with low frequency gravitational waves and some of the more exotic ones like with binaries if you know the double neutron star binaries uh, we can study uh, Relative, general relativity and different physics in uh, strong, strong gravitational fields and um, dense matter physics and things like that. And that's obviously the same for testing for black holes as well, correct? Yeah, so actually, um, so the idea between, uh, the idea with the gravitational waves is to measure the signals from the pulsars um, uh, accurately enough that any delay in the model that you've created of when the signal should arrive, any delay on the time of arrival will be accounted for by uh, gravitational waves in the space time between the pulsar and here. And actually, uh, nanograv, which is the North American gravitational wave um, program using their pulsar timing array, has published a paper recently suggesting that they may have detected it. So that's interesting. And so you're using SETI data uh, to look for these pulsars. Um, what's SETI? So SETI is Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And the data I'm using is from uh, Breakthrough, Lish, Breakthrough Listen. And they're an organization that is funded by a, uh, a Russian billionaire. And on the board, I think, is Mark Zuckerberg and Stephen Hawking's. But their whole, they've got a number of initiatives uh, one is to detect extraterrestrial life, which is the data that I'm using, but they also want to try and um, build starships to, for interstellar travel and a few other things to uh, get us out of the solar system. But uh, yeah, so this, the Breakthrough Listen uh, SETI program is the largest 
search for extraterrestrial intelligence ever undertaken. And it's uh, started in 2016, the radio observations, but there's radio optical uh, and it's both conducted in the Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere with parks. And that's the data I'm using. From that data, what methods are you using to look for the pulsars? So uh, there's a fairly standard pulsar search pipeline that involves um, RFI mitigation, which is getting rid of the radio frequency interference, de-dispersing it. So the uh, any signals will be affected by how much space they have to uh, travel through to get here and the, the, uh, the contents of that. And then basically it's, there's a fast Fourier transfer that's done on it to look for periodic signals. And then because the signals are generally so weak in the pulsars that we're looking for now, because all the bright ones have been found, we have to fold it over on top of each other essentially to build up a, uh, to make the signal of the pulsar stand out from the noise of the background. And then, so for my master's project, we did a, a sort of pilot study on the data and ended up with 4 million candidates. So at the moment, most of that is done. You go through it with the Mark one eyeball, but I'm hoping to, for this PhD project, use some machine learning to make the process a bit quicker. Why did you choose radio over optical? What was the draw? Uh, basically, I was doing a coursework in uh, masters and coursework through Swinburne, the uh, astronomy online. And I listened to a podcast of one of the postdocs out at CSIRO. And he was talking about searching for exotic pulsar binaries uh, and the search for the pulsar black hole binary. And I re I'd read a few papers on that as part of my studies. And I read, you know, it's a, they were caught everywhere was calling it the astrophysical, um, holy grail and whoever found it would get a Nobel prize. So I was like, I'll throw my hat in the ring for that. And, uh, yeah, ended up here. And so did you start off in astronomy? Did you do your undergrad in astronomy or did you, or did you come from another um, field? No. So yeah, I, uh, took the long way to get here. My background educationally is, uh, well, so my undergrads in psych and uh, human resource management and most of my other uh, qualifications are in international relations and politics. And most of my career has been in the military. I did the Swinburne Astronomy Online and then I did the MRES at Macquarie and now I've rolled into the PhD. Uh, so what, 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 um, what prompted that change? Well, I was doing a coursework masters in arts uh, majoring in international relations and politics and planning to do a PhD in that. But I was just getting a little bit frustrated with the, it's a lot of its opinion and you can argue pretty much any point of view. And I wanted to get into the hard sciences where there are, you know, there's facts and then there's um, fallacies and you could prove the difference, but turns out there's just as much opinion in science as there is in any other field. So that's been interesting. I just want to go back to gravity waves for just a second. Uh, what makes them so important? To be honest, it's a bit beyond my bailiwick, but what, so what's really interesting is that Einstein predicted the existence of gravitational waves over a hundred years ago. 
and we've only just had the, the first direct detection uh, uh, four years ago in 2016 with LIGO and Virgo. But they, uh, they were medium, I think medium and high frequency gravitational waves. So there's proposed that the basically space time is just full of gravitational wave ripples. And if we can detect those using pulsar timing arrays, the lower frequency ones, we should be able to conduct uh, a few more tests of general relativity and understand the nature of space time a bit better. How many pulsars have you found so far with your project? Uh, so none. <laughs> uh, during my, so the pilot program essentially through my master's research tested the sensitivity of the, um, of the survey and we were able to detect most of the known pulsars we were expected to detect. And so the idea, because everything, well, most of the pulsars detected to this point have been done manual by manual inspection of the, uh, the plots. My supervisors assure me that there's got to be some that have been missed. So uh, I should be able to find some because the data is sensitive enough to have some um, uh, weak pulsar, detect some weak pulsars in it. So we'll see what we find. And but, uh, I've only just started, so. Where would you like this project to end up and where do you see yourself going when it's finished? Well, part of, part of the, uh, I guess, the aspirational part of the project, if we get the time, is there are a lot of similarities between SETI searches and pulsar searches because they're both looking for periodic signals in, or very quiet periodic signals in noisy data. And so what I'm hoping to do is to find uh, some sort of parallel between the two search pipelines or search methods to either augment the search for extraterrestrial intelligence or use tools from there to augment pulsar searching. So hopefully at that intersection, uh, there might be something to learn in both, both fields. But um, it's two fields. If I find anything interesting in either of them, I'll get a Nobel Prize, so. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Was there anything else you wanted to add? I've sort of covered everything that I've wanted to cover. Oh, I, sh I probably should mention that, my, so my project is in conjunction with uh, CSIRO, Astronomy and Space Science. I, I actually spend half my time out at the Marsfield site there. And so I'm using their computers and the breakthrough listen data. But it's quite an interesting project in that uh, I've got I've got two official supervisors, but I'm working with uh, people from the Breakthrough Listen team, which is in Berkeley as well. So I uh, I get to tunnel into a lot of computers around Australia and around the world to access the data and uh, use it all. So it's quite quite exciting in that it's a a broad collaboration, I suppose. All right. I think that's it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Tim. Have a great day. Stardust MQ is a podcast made with the support of the Macquarie University Department of Physics and Astronomy and the Macquarie University Physics and Astronomy Society. Thanks to Oliver Doherty for editing this episode. Our intro music is by Poddington Bear and our outro theme is from Ketsa. I'll talk to you next time.